Welcome, friends. You're listening to the Swears and Does Hair podcast for bridal hairstylists and makeup artists looking to take their business to new levels. Here we tackle topics such as mindset, finances, balancing business with motherhood, and healthy strategies to keep your body and mind supporting your business rather than holding it back. I'm your host, Sue Minsky, business coach for bridal hairstylists and creator of the Next Level Bridal Business Program. Thanks for joining me. I can't wait to dig into today's topic, so let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Swears and Does Hair podcast. Today's episode is about difficult conversations. We have to communicate with our clients and it's not always the happiest topics when they push our boundaries or ask for something that we are uncomfortable with or unwilling to do for them it can be really hard with coming up how to tell them no so much of no we take personally but really it's not it protects you as the business owner and it actually protects them as well We feel like we're somehow going to be letting them down by saying no, but really what we're doing is we're telling them that we are committed to providing them with excellent service. And in order to do so, we have to abide by certain policies that we have set in place. When we tell people no, we're actually offering them a better experience. We are making sure that we're protecting our mental health so that we have the right energy. So when we do have those interactions with them, whether it's on a phone call, through an email or in person, we have the right energy to give to them so that they can enjoy the experience much more. It helps us to be able to find the right artists for them. Just because they wanna work with us doesn't mean that we have to work with them. It doesn't mean that we are the right person to be there for them on their wedding day just because they like our work and just because they want to give us money. Saying no actually helps them have a better experience because now they can look for the person who will be able to provide the right type of energy, the right type of look, and you are protecting your space and your time, allowing only the right brides to be the ones that make it onto your calendar. It also helps us to make sure that we are protecting the investment of our time, all right, so that we are not burnt out. I see so many people in this industry who are totally burnt out. It's January right now, and I see people who are posting on their Instagram that they are already feeling overwhelmed and they're trying to protect themselves from burnout. So for the rest of this year, here's their new policies. Here's how many jobs they will be taking. Here's how many jobs they won't be taking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's already January guys, and we're starting to burn ourselves out. I think because so many people last year were still in this feast or famine mindset and saying, I'm going to take everything I can. And now that the new year is starting and they've realized that they've pretty much almost maxed out most of 2022 and they have to be booking for 2023 only, they've realized they've really pigeonholed themselves. They're committed to doing so much this year. And in order to continue to make money, they have to book themselves even farther in advance 
because they didn't say no to some people. They didn't make sure to protect their time and protect their mental space for this year. And they're already feeling like, shit, this year's going to suck. I'm going to be so burned out by the end of the year. It's great that they're putting the boundaries in place now. That's really important that they're not making it until June and then crying in a corner somewhere going, oh my God, why did I do this to myself? They're at least taking that step now by saying, all right, this year's going to get crazy. I can't keep doing this. Here's what I need to change. Here's what I need to do instead. So it's really important and I'm really proud of them for recognizing that so early on in the process. But guys, let's talk about how to effectively communicate and say no so that this problem doesn't continue to pop up. Because if weddings keep booking at this rate and vendors keep booking further and further and further in advance, that's actually going to do a huge detriment to our industry because so many people are going to get burnt out and leave if we're not saying no more often. So communication is really about having clear boundaries, all right? It's the ability to communicate them effectively without guilt. We take things so personally, but it shouldn't be. This is still a business. We are very personable. We are working with people in a highly emotional situation. We're high touch. We work with them for months and months in advance for a very happy, eventful day. Okay, so it's hard not to see things personally, but we have to remember at the end of the day, this is a job. This is a business. This is how we pay our bills, and this is what we do to make money. So we still have to remember to operate things as a business. Okay, so we can't connect our policies to that sense of guilt and take anything personally. We can't feel like, our brides, uh, we are we are somehow being uh, of a disservice to them and, and they're going to take things personally if we tell them no. I mean, if they take things that personally, they're welcome to work with somebody else. That's not going to kill you. It's not going to cripple your business if somebody says, hey, I don't like your policy. I'm going to go with somebody else who doesn't have that policy. What they're actually saying to you is, I don't respect you very much. So I'm going to look for somebody else who will allow me to disrespect them because they're asking for something that you're not willing to give, that you're not able to give and still provide a high level of experience. So they're saying, I don't care about the experience. I just want my way. And those aren't the kind of people that we want to surround ourselves with because they're a drain. And those are the kind of brides that lead to burnout. When you're working with only the right brides, you can do a high volume Okay, because those weddings aren't draining you, they're filling you back up. So the first step to really becoming um, better at communicating with clients is to do a deep dive on setting your boundaries. I don't think enough of us really know what our boundaries are until they're pressed, until they go, oh, you know, what? I don't really like that. Well, now how do I say no? And it's because they didn't do the prep work. They didn't say, what am I willing to say yes to? What am I not willing to say yes to? Let me have all of this written out, thought out. So when the situation does pop up, if it ever does, I already have a ready-made answer. 
I already have something to say to people to point back to and go, yeah, as per the, you know, the contract or as per my policy, which is laid out on my website, which we discussed in person, which was included in your welcome email or wherever uh, it's going to be the most easily accessible for them. This is my policy on that. So unfortunately, I can't accommodate that, but here is the solution that I already have in place for when this situation comes up. So it's not just about learning to say no, but also learning to predict and being able to be prepared and say, okay, I may have to tell you no, but don't worry, I already have a solution. And the more often you do this, the more easily you'll be able to refer to that solution and say, hey, I had the situation come up before. Here's what we did. Here's how it worked out. And you're still providing a high level of customer experience, even though you're telling somebody no. You're saying, hey, no, but I have a solution for you and it's a proven method that can already work. So in order to do all of this with setting these policies and setting your boundaries, the very first thing that I recommend, that first step, is to get really, really clear on your goals for the year. And for in general, you know, not just for 2022, not just for this year, but for 2023, 2025, 2026, 2030, however long you want to be in business for. You have to be able to uh, project into the future and say, what do I want my life to be like? If I want my life to be like this, what steps do I need to take today to get me a little bit closer? You can't complete it all. You can't get from 2022 to 2030 in a day. It's impossible. But if you have a path laid out for you with all of the steps, you can take a look and say, okay, in 2022, in order to be where I want to be in 2030, I have to do this. I have to do this many weddings. I need to make this much money. Uh, I need to hire a team, expand this way, uh, you know, hire a business coach, take some marketing classes. I need to take a makeup class, a hair class or whatever. Whatever those steps are, they're going to get you towards your goal. You need to know what the hell they are or you're never going to accomplish them. You're never going to get to that life that you want in 2030 if you don't know what it's going to be. And that doesn't mean that it's set in stone. Just by setting a goal doesn't mean that that is 100% the only option for you. I have goals for 2030 that I'm like, you know what? If this is what I want my life to be like in eight years from now, these are the kinds of things that I need to create habits for in my life right now. But I'm open to the possibility of something new happening in the next eight years that takes me in a different direction. But for right now, in general, this is where I see my life like in 2030. So it doesn't have to be set in stone. I think a lot of people get really scared with setting goals for themselves because they're like, well, what do I do if I don't achieve them? Then I feel like a failure. You're not a failure. Okay. Okay. But if you don't know where you're going, you're just wandering. 
It's like trying to drive across the country. Okay. You're going on a road trip and you don't know where your end goal is. You know where you're starting. You know the places that you're likely to pass by. But if you don't have an end goal in place, you're just, you're literally, you're wasting gas. You're wasting time. You're wasting energy. You're just driving around hoping that you'll find some place that's good enough to stop and say, this is a good place. I'll stop here. So without clear goal setting, you have you literally have no map. You don't know where you're going. So by setting these goals, you're saying, all right, this is intentionally what I'm working towards. The actions that I take in my life and the actions that I take in my business today are going to support this goal. And if a new opportunity shows up or something changes in my life and I have to shift my goal, I don't have to completely get rid of it and start from scratch. If you have a map, you can look at little stops and be like, okay, well, that's not the new end goal anymore. Here's where my path diverts. I have a new goal. Where do I need to shift? You don't have to start over. You don't have to change things so much. You can just be like, okay, I'm heading in this direction, but now I want to go a little bit to the left. Here's how I pivot. And so it doesn't make such a huge impact on your life if you're changing your goals. It could be a radical change, but if you have that path that you're already on and those habits built into your daily life, changing your goals is not a huge disruption. So it's not going to be this whole big mental thing of being like, oh my God, my, I, I changed my goals. This doesn't work anymore. So first getting set on your goals and knowing where you are going and by pulling things down into, you know, the more immediate, you can say, all right, well, my goal is for 2023. I'll use myself as an example. I am retiring from doing weddings in person. As of October 15th of 2022, I'm no longer doing any weddings. So that's going to take a huge chunk of my income out. But after 15 years of working behind the chair, doing weddings, I want my weekends back. I don't want to spend as much time doing all the admin work. You know, I don't want to spend all those hours on my feet, all those hours away from my kids. They're going to go off to college before I know it. And I'm not going to see them as much. They're busy during the week. Like I want my time with my children back. All right. So I have to know, okay, that that's my end goal. What do I have to do between now and then? Well, that means that I have to protect my mental space this year so that I'm not completely filling my calendar and then getting to the point where I retire and I'm like, fuck all this. I'm so glad I fucking retired. I'm so tired of this. I can go out still loving my career and still having a passion for it. So I'm protecting myself mentally. I'm protecting my time and I'm transitioning myself out of it. I'm not just cutting off and cutting off my income either. I've spent the last two years building up this coaching business. I now have this podcast. I have digital products that I've created. So for people who don't need to hire me as a coach, who don't need my full business course, Next Level Bridal Business, Okay, I have a series of digital products like my email templates, 
uh, my HoneyBook training, all of these other little things that people can purchase that meets their immediate needs. And then of course I have, you know, my one-on-one -on -one coaching and I'm transitioning into in-person education because I know what my end goal is. I'm able to structure my time to achieve those goals. And I'm also still allowing myself to be flexible. If in-person coaching and in-person events takes off, well, then I have the opportunity to invest more time into there and to spend less time on my courses. Or if my one-on-one -on -one coaching takes off, I can pivot and I can focus a little bit more time because I've diversified things. So I have to also know, okay, what do I need in each of these different diverse areas in order to one, balance my time, but also balance my income? How many of these digital products do I need to release in a year? How often should I or do I need to come up with a new course and launch it in order to have that income to supplement what my weddings were giving me? I still want to make sure that I am assisting so I can still be there and be a part of weddings because I don't think I'll ever really truly give weddings up. I love them and I love them so much and I love the energy and everything. But by cutting severely back, I can preserve my love and my energy for these events and I can do this and assist. So I can say, okay, well, this is how much I need to make per month. This is how many opportunities I'm willing to take on per month for assisting next year. And so I can start to manage my time and I can set those boundaries because I know what my end goal is. I know, okay, this is how much money I need to make per month from still doing in-person um, clients, whether that be assisting on a wedding, working for a local boudoir photographer. I have a spray tanning business out of my house. So how many clients do I need to? And I can kind of map out my year. So this is going to be a part of like my money and income management and my business planning. And then because I have all of that in place, I know what I need to do. I can set the time and I can set the cutoff for when I'm not going to do any more of those things. So I've set my goals. I've laid out my business plan because the next step is knowing the value of your time. How often do I want to be doing these things? So you should be looking at that for yourself. How often do you want to be doing weddings? How important and how valuable is your time not working? I think a lot of people run things backwards when setting the value of their time. They're like, well, I have to make this much money to pay my bills. So I need to do these many jobs. Okay. To me, I get it. That's important. But at the same time, we forget about the value of when we're not working. Every minute of every day has a dollar amount. The saying time is money is not just something that you hear in movies. It's not just a Wall Street kind of thing. It applies to everything. Stay-at-home moms have a value of their time. Time is money. When setting a budget for your household, you have to look at, okay, am I going to buy the vegetables and chop them myself and save myself some money? 
but I have to spend more time preparing the food? Or is it worth my time that I don't have to spend chopping those vegetables to pay an extra 50 cents for the vegetables pre-chopped for me in the package? That's your time. Your time is worth something. Are you more interested in saving the money and spending the time to do the work? Or are you willing to spend a little bit more to have some of that work already done for you by somebody else? Like I hire somebody to come and clean my house once a month. She pay, I pay her, I think it's like $220 or something like that. She completely cleans the main floor of the house. She cleans my master bedroom and master bath. She also cleans my 12-year-old's bathroom because it's a mess. Um, and if I don't have to clean teenage boys' bathrooms, that's great. So she, I charge, she charges me a little extra to go in and, and clean his bathroom. But for the main part, my living space, the main floor of the house, my bedroom and my bathroom, having somebody else come in once a month and just completely deep clean it for me is so nice. The first Monday of every month, I know that that night I'm going to bed in a nicely made bed, my sheets all clean and, and new sheets put on the bed and the bed's all made and it's just, my room is clean, my bathroom is clean, the bathtub, I have a nice soaking tub in my bathroom, it's all deep cleaned so I can go and I can like soak in the bubble bath being like, oh, that's like the best feeling. It's like clean sheets and a clean bubble bath like a clean tub that you didn't have to like sit there and scrub out first. Like to me, that's just the best. It's worth $220 a month to me to be able to have that peace of mind and know that at the very least, the first Monday of every month, my bedroom is going to be nice and clean and I can go to bed with a clear mind and not stress from clutter. I can come back from doing my grocery shopping because I do grocery shopping every Monday for the week, I can come back from the grocery shopping and walk into the house and it will be sparkling clean on the main floor. There's not gonna be stuff all over the dining room table. The shoes are gonna be picked up from in front of the door. The carpets are going to be vacuumed. It's gonna smell really nice. All the dishes, all the counters, like everything is gonna be clean. So I can walk in with just a feeling of peace. It's worth every penny to me. So I know the value of my time. It is worth $220 to me to not have to do that myself. So when you're setting your rates and when you are setting your boundaries, you have to know what is the value of my time not working? What is the value of my time to be pulled away from the things that I would rather be doing in order to come and do your wedding? I get inquiries all the time for early mornings, like really early mornings for sunrise engagement photos at the monuments in DC. It's a big thing here. People get photos taken at sunrise. It's beautiful. They always look really nice. But I can't imagine why on earth, it's me, maybe I'm just so not a morning person, like why the fuck that is appealing to anybody? Like the pictures are nice, but guess what? The sun also sets. You don't have to get up at the ass crack of the day in order to have really pretty light. There's two golden hours a day, guys. Like maybe do 6 p.m. instead of 6 a.m. 
So if somebody needs to be at the monuments in DC for 6 a.m. sunrise or even a 6.30 sunrise, they need to get there about 20 minutes early because they got to find parking. There's nothing right near in the monuments. So they have to park and they have to walk. Usually they don't live really right within DC. All right. And even if they do, they need to give themselves at least 20 to 30 minutes of driving because even just going a couple of blocks early in the morning, there's still traffic. So they need to be completely finished, ready to walk out of their house by 530 in the morning. To do hair and makeup takes me about 90 minutes. So I need to be finished. If they need to leave at 530. I need to be finished by 515 and packing up. So 90 minutes back from that, that's just really fucking early. Somebody wants me to come and do it. Yeah, sure, I'll do it. But I'm going to charge through the ass in travel fees, in early morning fees. Because I don't want to be there. I want to be sleeping. The value of my time is very, very high for early mornings because I would rather be sleeping. If somebody comes to me last minute, their hairstylist or their makeup artist bailed on them. Am I sympathetic? Absolutely. That sucks. Chances are they tried to go really cheap. So I'm losing a little sympathy for them there. I'll admit that I'm like, well, you know, if you had hired somebody who was, you know, a little more expensive and actually ran their business like a business and not a hobby, maybe they wouldn't have bailed on you. Okay. So there's that practical side of me. But yes, I am sympathetic because it sucks. And if I'm available and I can come and I can help them save the day, I'm charging a lot of extra for it because I wasn't planning on it. That was my day off. This past weekend, in fact, um, Giselle, one of my good friends, she texted me early in the morning and was like, hey, you want to help save the day? And I was like, what are you talking about? And this was on a Saturday. And she was like, I got a message from a planner and the bride's makeup artist um, ha- is not showing up. They just talked to her last night. She hasn't shown up this morning. She's like, you know, they have 12 services, six people for hair and makeup that need to be finished. And it was like 90 minutes away. And I was like, okay. And she was talking with the planner and she gave them her prices. And the planner was like, oh, that's absolutely not what the bride had budgeted. And that's when we were both like, well, no shit. You know, if you only want to pay $50, this is what you're going to get. This is what you're going to get. No one's going to show up for that because it's not worth their time. So even though we felt really sympathetic, we weren't going to budge on the price because that's not what the bride had budgeted. So Giselle basically told the planner and she was like, hey, you know, you got like 20 minutes to get back to me because I still have to pack my stuff. I still have to you know, finish getting dressed and then drive 90 minutes. At this point in the day, there's absolutely no way we can get everybody done. But if we're at least going to get the bride and maybe the maid of honor or her mom or somebody finished, we need to get the show on the road here. Are we doing this or not? And eventually the planner was just like, no, the bride's not willing to spend, you know, that kind of money. And just, I was like, that's fine. This was already going to be my day off. You know, a little bit of extra money may not necessarily be worth it. Okay. You're planning to have a day off. She had plans with her kids. She was ready to drop them to help save this bride, but she wasn't going to do it for this $50 of head kind of cheap price that this bride wanted to pay. 
it wasn't worth it to her. So she had that clear boundary in place where she was like, no, I will help, but I'm not going to do it for what you want me to, because I respect myself more than that. I respect my time more than that. And yes, it would have been money that she wasn't going to get anyways, but that doesn't mean that she had to turn around and give up her time with her family and then turn around and ask me to do the same for something that also wasn't worth my time. She wasn't even going to disrespect me like that. She was like, no, like I can't bring an assistant for only $50 a person. Like there's no way I can get anybody to come and work for me for that. So knowing the value of your time is a really important step. The next one is really determining your limits, how much and how often and how long you're willing to invest for each person for that rate. So a lot of times some brides will really require a lot more of our time. They'll spend a lot more time emailing us and uh, talking on the phone with us or sitting there at their trials. And a lot of people forget to charge for any overage time. I'm happy to send you as many emails as you need, okay? Because those I can send on my own time. I'll be like super, super responsive in the beginning, but if you start sending me like five emails a day, I don't have the kind of time to stop constantly. So it's gonna take me a little longer to get back to once we, we start getting with that high volume, okay? Because I, I understand the value of my time. Again, I have other tasks to be, completed. I can't stop what I'm doing every single time to answer that many emails. Now, if you want to pay me some overage time for that higher level of high touch service where I'm at your beck and call, you have to compensate for what I can't be doing making money in the rest of that time because I have to be constantly uh, emailing at you. Uh, when people are talking on the phone, you know, once we start to get to that like 10, 15 minute mark, I let them know well in advance that it's a 15 minute phone consultation. Once we start getting to that 10 to 15 minutes, I let them know, okay, you know, the, the complimentary consultation is coming to a close. I'm more than happy to do a paid consultation with you or discuss this, these details for your look further at your trial, which is a paid appointment. But right now I have to go. I have other phone calls scheduled with brides. Whether I do or not doesn't matter. I am setting a boundary and I'm cutting off that conversation. I'm not going to sit there and lick their boots for 30 minutes hoping that they book me. I'm not a phone consultation person anyways. I don't run my business that way. I don't coach people to run their business that way. Um, I protect the value of my time a little bit more highly. I don't give away anything for free like that. If you have questions about the booking process that aren't answered on my website or the, you know, all of the welcome emails and all that kind of stuff prior to booking, you know, like I give so much information digitally if they just want to take the time to read it, they can have all of that information there. There's really nothing that they could possibly ask about whether or not they want to book me that isn't already answered for them at their fingertips that they could read at two o'clock in the morning. I get that a lot of people want to get a feel for personality and that's great. I feel like my personality comes across pretty well 
on my marketing and my social media and my, the tone of my emails. There's really not much that's going to change. There's really not much selling I could do on a phone conversation that I can't do through my marketing. People already know pretty much what they're going to get before they ever even email me. So it's not a question of do we mesh with our personalities? And then, you know what, we can try at the trial. You can pay me for my time. And if you really wanna test my personality first, if it's that important to you, you can pay me for my time. So I have my limits based on the value of my time, which has been set by my goals for the year of what I need to accomplish. The last couple of steps, we'll kind of go through a little bit more quickly because uh, I don't want to overwhelm you. But it, when I talk about contracts inside my coaching program, inside of Next Level, I talk about things called if-then statements, okay? This is how you set boundaries and how you determine how situations will be handled. It's a series of statements and it's a mental exercise that I walk people through where I say, okay, if this happens, then what do you do? And we go through a whole gambit of all these different situations they could possibly handle. So instead of waiting and being reactive when a situation happens and you don't have a policy set in place and now you have to figure it out, that's when difficult conversations come up. Easy conversations happen when you've already done this thought exercise of, well, if the bridesmaids decide to drop because they don't want to pay for hair or for makeup closer to the wedding, then they're shit out of luck because my contract says you can't do that. So, you know, it's, it's like saying, if this happens, then you can go back and say, well, as per the contract, we cannot remove services from your wedding day. However, if somebody is unable to receive services, you can um, substitute somebody else instead. You have that policy in place. It's in writing. It's something that they've been notified of prior to the situation. You're being proactive instead of reactive. And when you have proactive policies put in place, people respect that. When you are trying to be reactive to a situation and come up with a solution or a boundary on the fly, that's when people are like, well, now you're just trying to pull this on me and you're not being very flexible. But if you can be like, well, no, actually, I have this policy in place. It's listed on my website. It was in your welcome con, uh, in your welcome packet. Uh, we discussed it at your trial when we discussed your headcount, or we discussed it when we were writing up your contract when we discussed headcount. And you initialed next to that policy in your contract. There's four different times that I notified you of this policy before the situation happened. Then they can be like, yeah, you're right. This is my problem. I'll take it up with my bridesmaid or I will find a solution by finding somebody else to fill a spot. They're not going to be mad. They're not going to be upset about that. You've given them plenty of opportunities to solve the solution on their own before putting it on your plate. You've told them what that policy is. And that's where uh, uh, the last step kind of comes in is making sure that this policy is written everywhere. You can't have policies and then expect to be able to enforce them and expect people to respect them if you don't let them know what the fuck they are. 
I see people with salons all the time who get so bent out of shape about people who don't show up or who show up late or reschedule a bunch of times or reschedule um, last minute. Something always comes up and they're like, oh, it's Sally on my schedule again. She always reschedules at 25 hours instead of 24. Okay, so what's your policy with dealing with that? Does Sally know what your policy is? So I have a studio out of my house where I do spray tanning and I'm super, super upfront with people not showing up or showing up late. My website has the policy. My booking papers have the policy. The immediate email that they say confirming their appointment has my policy. And then the email reminder that they get 24 hours in advance also has a policy. And the policy says, if you cannot have the common decency to cancel your appointment and you know show on me, I am not the, the tanning specialist for you. Please do not book an appointment with me if you do not intend to show up. Please respect my time. And you know what? Some people are like super turned off by that. You know the people who are turned off by that? The people who like to no-show. The people who would never dream of no-showing find my frankness hysterical. I just had a spray tan person come on Thursday and she was like, I saw that in your email and I was immediately like, this chick is my tribe. She's like, your vibe attracts your tribe. And I was like, oh my God, I say that all the time. She was like, I want to be friends with you. She's like, because that's so true. If you don't respect my time, do not book an appointment with me because she's a realtor and she has that shit that happens all the time. So I now I know because of my policy, I provided a better experience and I've attracted the right type of person for my clients, for my clientele to build that. And now she's like, man, anytime I need a spray tan, she's like, I'm going to come and I'm going to see you. She's like, I just think you're a cool chick. You obviously know how to run your business. Even though you run it from your home, she's like, you're clear, you clearly know what you're doing. And that now she respects me higher as a professional because she's like, you have policies in place. You have boundaries. You're upfront about it and you enforce it. So she respects me more as a business person and not just a hobbyist. She could be like, oh my God, this chick just like spray tans people out of her house, whatever. She obviously doesn't take this very seriously. If I don't show up, you know, what does it matter? She's not a real business. And I think a lot of people kind of view what we do if we're on location hair and makeup people is not a real business how many times have you had people kind of like say that to you or imply that this is just a hobby it's because so many people don't treat it like a job it's a fucking job if it's not a job for you please get the fuck out get the fuck out of this industry if you can't respect what you do you are disrespecting every other person who comes behind you. Every person who has been working for decades trying to get respect for this industry. Every single person graduating cosmetology school or makeup school saying, I want to do hair and makeup for weddings. If you don't treat it like a real job and like a real business, you're not only disrespecting yourself, you're disrespecting all of us. You're disrespecting your peers. So 
have these boundaries, have these policies, and then be like, I'm a fucking business. I'm going to enforce the policies. It's hard at first because we don't always see ourselves as a business, but we are. We are a business. We have to run it that way. We have to treat it that way. So the very last piece of this, you know, these steps to having better communications with clients and setting these boundaries is getting comfortable referring to your policies and enforcing them. And that's like a muscle. It's a muscle that you have to grow. The less you flex it, the weaker it gets. So once you start enforcing your policies, it will become second nature. Okay. And it will get easier and easier and easier with repetition. So you have to have all of this back work done first. You have to set your limits, the value of your time, set your goals, and then put together these policies that say, well, if this happens, then this is what the solution is. So when it happens, you can say, okay, I already got a policy for that. I not only have a policy to tell you no, but I have a solution to fix it. Brides will have a much, much better experience with you even when you tell them no. And you'll have a much, much better experience as a business owner because you're respecting yourself and you're respecting your client's time too. Nobody wants to waste time on someone that isn't able to give them what they want. Let them cut and run early by telling them no. Let them find the person who is right for them. And you only accept the people who are willing to accept your policies. And if you're somebody who works behind the chair, this goes 110% for you as well. Policies make everything better. They make it a little more difficult in the beginning, but they make everything better. The people who are willing to be walked all over are the ones who are going to burn out and hate this industry. Let them hate it. You're going to love it, girl. So that's it for today. Uh, I hope you got a lot of information out of this. If you are somebody who is looking for conversation templates, uh, things that um, you communication, you know, emails and stuff that you you need to have that you're unsure of how to word. I do have templates for that. It's called golden emails. Okay. So you can go to my Instagram. It's at beauty biz, B I Z collective. So beauty biz collective. All right. You can click on the resources highlights. All right. And you can scroll through and then you'll see the golden emails templates, or there is a link for it directly in my bio. There's a whole drop down with a bunch of different resources for you. Um, there's other types of resources and things like that that aren't just um, those email templates. Or if you're somebody who is like, you know what, I need help with setting my goals and setting my policies. We can absolutely take care of that for you in one-on-one -on -one coaching. So one-on-one -on -one coaching doesn't necessarily always have to be like super business related. You can take one thing that you're struggling with and you can book me for a one-on-one -on -one consultation and say, hey, here's the situation. How do I resolve it? How do I fix the immediate situation? How do I prevent that from happening again? How do I provide better solutions for myself and for future clients? So we can always do something like that. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for listening today. I will be back in just a few days with a new interview episode. I hope to see you there. 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you feel empowered, knowledgeable, and capable of handling anything that your business throws your way. Don't forget to subscribe to get access to new episodes as they are released each week on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Love today's episode? Let me know. Leave me a review and tell me what your biggest takeaway was from the conversation. Have a request for a future topic or someone you'd like to hear me interview? Find me on Instagram at beautybizcollective and drop me a DM. And if you're hungry for more actionable content to help you grow your bridal business, go to www.swearsanddoeshair.com slash bookmorebrides to sign up for my free on-demand training and learn how to book better quality brides faster, easier, and with less stress.